Hello, welcome to A Drink to the Past, the only podcast where we're too lazy to write a theme song and instead we just open beer. Which is weird because, like, I write music, like, all the time, but, uh, I, uh, have never wrote us a theme song. I, I wrote a song called A Drink to the Past, but it's, uh, it's kind of bittersweet, sort of a you know, thing, like a little melancholy. As opposed to about the show, which is... Yeah, has nothing to do with the show. Melancholy is not the right word. Yeah. I guess it would be fair to say. Yeah, I, I would describe our show as wacky bullshit. Anyways, uh, I'm your host, John Michael Patrick Thompson, as you can plainly see now. And providing wonderful gameplay, as always, is Chris Provides the Gameplay Audette. Hi, I'm Chris. Oh god, I'm slowly dying getting crushed underneath the forces of Cyan Audette. No, that's a complete lie. Are you doing okay uh, there? Not playing Minecraft this week. Gotta not playing Minecraft this week. I, uh, crazy. I lost track of time and was in the middle of a multiplayer game, so uh, you mm -hmm. are seeing the tail end of that. Neat. Uh, yeah. And I am playing Drink the Beer. Today's beer of the week is Breckenridge Brewery's Mountain Beach. Uh, which is... Some kind of beer. I don't know. Bright and tart with pineapple, lime, and guava. I don't even know what guava is, but it sounds neat. I've heard of guava. I've probably eaten and or drunk guava before. Not sure. I think it's some kind of fruit. <laughs> Anyways... Because it's a beach-themed beer, I'm dressing it up in a Hawaiian shirt koozie. Because why not? That'll always come in handy. Makes sense to me. So, Chris, what you drinking today? I'm drinking a graham cracker porter. Good, good standby. Good, good dark beer. Mm-hmm. Well, cheers to that. Definitely quite fruity. It is lightly tart. It's not overpoweringly sour, which I like. Because, like, sometimes sour beers are like, Look at me, I'm sour! And that's the whole thing, because it's a trend, so people make sour beers and don't really think whether or not they should. How's that, how's that uh, quote go from Jurassic Park? They, you were so preoccupied with whether or not you could, you didn't stop to think whether or not you should. Yes. Thank you, Dr. Ian Malcolm. Uh, I think that was uh, Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. Uh, or his character. What His character was. was Ian Malcolm. I just said was that. Yeah, Ma Al Ian, yeah, yeah, Ian Malcolm I remember was the, actor. the name I didn't remember the character name. Okay. Right, yeah. Um, he's, that's kind of the thing that I recognize Jeff Goldblum from most. Obviously, he's done plenty of other stuff, but as a kid, I just watched crap loads of Jurassic Park. So, like, whenever I see him, that's the movie I think of. So. Yeah, anyways, uh, what you playing, Chris, other than Age of Empires, I think this is? Yeah, this is Age of Empires. It is uh, it is a game that <laughs> I got wrapped up in before the podcast, kind of lost track of time, so I'm still playing it since I'm playing online with some other people mm -hmm. uh, who I would prefer not to... I, I feel like it's a good way, it's a nice change of pace here. Just Even if it. it's entirely on accident, how I had started playing it. <laughs> you know. We'll go with that. 
Uh, maybe one of these days I'll, like, play some Halo or something, and I'll be, like, too preoccupied with talking that I'll just die online a lot. <laughs> That's a terrible idea. I'll go on campaign. Because <laughs> um, playing Halo on PC allegedly gets you killed more if you use a controller like I do. But controllers are neat. I like controllers, controllers are neat. I don't know. I, I think it's blown out of proportion. I, I don't think keyboard and mouse gives you that much of an advantage in the casual scene. In in super high competitive play, sure, probably. But, like, on online with randos, I do okay with a controller, so suck it. Anyways, um, so yeah, I've been playing um, more Tales of Asperia. I've been getting back into that again uh, on Switch, so that's been really cool. I think I'm close to the point where I stopped playing the first time because my disc was not in my Xbox anymore a long time ago, and I was really pissed because I never saw it again. And uh, yeah, so I think I'm getting close to there because I'm like getting to the point where I'm like, do I remember this? I don't think I remember this. I think I'm past where I was. Oh, no, wait, I remember that. <laughs> so it's uh, it's kind of cool to revisit with, like, a little bit of knowledge of what was going on, but, like, I'm, I'm missing large chunks of it. So to get all these uh, important story points again is, is really cool. Um, and it's just a fantastic game. Like, the characters in this game are maybe my favorite of any JRPG. I'd have to probably play Tales of Asperia. No, I mean Tales of Symphonia again. Uh, I, I said the game that I was already talking about. That's a mistake, so we have to drink. If you're drinking along at home, I'll hold up a drink sign if you're uh, on our YouTube version. If not, you can also catch us on Podbean and Apple. There, I did the shameless plug. Now we can drink. Right, shameless plug. Haha. <laughs> I'm kidding. We were going to drink Shame, anyway. Shameless plug in the middle of our podcast, mm -hmm. that is. Indeed. Um, yeah, so that's been pretty cool. I also played a little bit of Dermatunal. Dermatunal? Drink again. We, we all know that Dermatunal <laughs> is uh, strictly inferior to Doom Eternal. Yes, yes. So, uh, Did I say inferior? Oh, God. Maybe. This is going to be one hell of a podcast. <laughs> We have to drink. Slipped over his words, too. Mm. <laughs> Luckily, I got an extra beer next to me in case this, this one runs out. I, I I, do have an excuse in that I am micromanaging, like, a bunch of units at the same time that mm -hmm. I'm doing this. That's fair. Um, but yeah, Doom Eternal has been pretty cool. I feel like the level design has got a lot away from the platforming issues I was having at the start of the game. Uh, I feel like I'm a fair way into the game, but I am not totally sure. Because um, I don't know how long the game is. But I've, I've got all the runes now, uh, which give you extra abilities and stuff. And I've powered up a lot of my weapons and Praetor suit and stuff like that. So I'm like, okay, I've got enough of the power-ups and stuff that I feel like I'm probably in the last quarter of the game, I would guess. I don't know. Um, uh, and, and it's a lot more just action-driven like the first reboot was, which I really like. Because, not that the platforming is bad, but it's just kind of like, 
annoying to have to like have like I, I have died so many times just falling in holes and it, it takes you a long time to die falling in holes because I think it only does like 20 damage each time or something out of your armor or health or something or, or 10 damage or 20 damage. it's it's something it's not a ton but it's enough that if you fall in a hole like 50 times you will die and I have died multiple times from falling in holes 50 times <laughs> They're just, like, I don't know what it is. It, like, none of them are super, super hard, I feel like, to figure out. But some of them, the execution is just kind of awkward. Or, like, I'm aiming for the thing. That, uh, like, some of them, you don't know where you're going until you've actually gone through, like, some of these platforming bits. So it's like you have to react to a lot of particular things as you're going and then remember them for the next time when you inevitably fall to your doom. So. It does sound terribly <laughs> annoying. Yeah, so I felt like those were awkward. And then there was one really, like, annoying pain in the ass boss fight. Um, but past that, like, it's just like, oh, hey, they remembered what they did with Doom 2016. This is better. <laughs> so, um, I'm digging it. I mean, I, I was digging it the whole time, but it, it, it had just a couple of, I've, and I feel like the, the platforming segments are like just kind of wedged into, so like you've got like, here's your nice wall of fluid moving gameplay progression, and then, oh, it's bisected by a, uh, inexplicable platforming segment, and it's, it, it just like slows down the pace of the game a lot too, so it was like, kind of annoying for that but it's still doom it's still cool lots of gore and violence and exploding people so everybody loves doom right uh, i would be inclined to agree with that mm -hmm. and Sorry. i feel like i've been playing something else a little bit of fire emblem again but i talked about that last week haven't done a ton new with that so i guess that's all for what we plan today um so, shall we get into the news and booze? Why not? News and booze this week starts with Mountain Beach, because the booze part is radar beer. So, um, that is pretty refreshing little, like, it's like lemonade-ish sour. It's not, like, ridiculous sour, but it's it's not lemon-flavored. It's, it's apparently pineapple and guava-flavored, which uh, tastes fruity as crap. So, I don't know. It's pretty good. It doesn't taste like beer. <laughs> it tastes like fruity, fancy people drink. Like some kind of pineapple cocktail or something. Um, which is better than most of the cocktails I've been doing lately. I was going to do a cocktail, and then I left the Coke in the truck. So, I didn't feel like going back out to the truck. Took my shoes off already. And I'm a lazy jerk. So, every time I'm a lazy jerk on the podcast, we have to drink too. That's a new rule. I don't make them up. I'm kidding. I totally make them up. Uh, anyways, first piece of news and booze. There's not a lot um, this week, but uh, uh, WTNT has listed a Breath of the Wild 2 and Breath of the Wild 2 Collector's Edition. This is a uh, foreign... Uh, I'm not sure. What, I, I think it's a South America somewhere. Um, like Amazon-like online company that uh, 
uh, does retail sales of various things. And uh, this is the website that leaked The Witcher 3 for Switch before the Switch version was announced. So basically people are taking this to be like, okay, a retailer is starting to list it, then theoretically an announcement is coming soon. And... I guess that's possible. If if they're announcing a collector's edition, they usually do that pretty quickly before. So, uh, you know, they don't usually announce a collector's edition very far out before the launch. So, this could imply that Breath of the Wild 2 is coming sooner than I think. Because I has been pegging this for a 2021 game, like, since it was announced, basically. I've been like... Like, there's a, a slight chance at the end of 2020, and then, you know, all the delays with COVID and stuff happened that I was just like, nope, not even close, not not happening. So, I still don't think it's happening this year, but if this listing turns out to be true, I could see, like, you know, another March release. March worked pretty well for Breath of the Wild 1, so. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I would hope for a non-March release, a... Uh, December release or so, just yeah. to kind of wrap up a kind of crappy year with something less crappy. Yeah, because they haven't had any huge hard hitters other than, obviously, Animal Crossing, but I, at the same time, I'm like, I feel like Animal Crossing will carry them through the holiday, even if they literally release nothing else for the rest of the year. And also, Paper Mario has done pretty good sales as well, so... I don't think they need another game, uh, and and still technically we do have a 2020 announcement for No More Heroes 3, so we could get No More Heroes 3 by the end of the year, unless that gets delayed as well. So, you know, who knows? It's, it's hard to tell exactly what would happen. Um, I think uh, Breath of the Wild 2 would do ridiculously well as a holiday title, though. I think you're right on that. If it, like, if they could get it out before Black Friday... It'll sell like hotcakes, and it'll probably sell like hotcakes no matter when it comes out, but I feel like it would be a good holiday game, and I would definitely go as far as to say it would be a better holiday game than No More Heroes 3. Uh, as much as I love No More Heroes, it's a little bit of a weirdo niche thing that, like, like I don't know very many other people that also like No More Heroes. Yeah, you are the person I know who talks about it. Yeah. You're the only person I know who talks about it, mm -hmm. kind of, unfortunately. Yeah. Next piece of news and booze, Skyward Sword for Nintendo Switch is listed on Amazon UK. So that could be an interesting contender as well. I think that could give us a Zelda buffer in terms of, you know... I, I feel like if Skyward Sword is launching this year... Or, or soon next year, then I don't see Breath of the Wild 2 coming until holiday next year. Uh, so if this turns out to be true, I could see a Skyward Sword remake being a good early year game, or or it would be an okay holiday title as well. Um, so what do you think about this, though, as an Amazon UK leak? Uh, these are, these are kind of hit and miss. I, I feel like they have more credence than like most small retailers but at the same time i kind of don't because i feel like i don't know amazon lists stuff and it's wrong more than small i don't know i don't know more than small retail 
that's that's a hard thing to say because a lot of (laughs) i don't know if that's true or not now that i'm thinking about it i'm like well i've seen a lot of weird small retailer listings that ended up to be bunk too so i'm not sure uh but do you think this is more or less believable than the guys that leaked witcher 3 Probably a little less believable, mm-hmm. if, but usually I think if a retailer has it, they don't want to be wrong about something like that. Right. So not that much less believable. Yeah, and I feel like there's more curation on Amazon than there are on small sites, too, which is why I kind of think there is a fair amount of credence to this possibility. Because, uh, you know... Amazon being as big as they are has definitely the potential to like check out stuff and make sure it's like legit. So I feel like if it was legit, it would probably have got or if it wasn't legit, it would probably have got taken down by now or something. I don't know. It's a weird scenario. So I don't know. And last piece of news and booze is more Nintendo stuff. Uh, Nintendo had an Indie World showcase on August 18th, and uh, not a ton sparked my interest majorly. I think the biggest announcement is Untitled Goose Game is getting a two-player mode that's going to come in a free update, so if you got Untitled Goose Game, you can now play multiplayer co-op, apparently. Uh, I still don't have that game. Um, I don't know. It's a game I was very much interested in yeah it looked kind of interesting but at the same time it was it's it's like a two-hour game or something and i was like i'm not sure i want to pay 30 bucks for a two-hour game but you know if it hits a sale maybe at some point yes that was sudden and unexpected which sudden and unexpected person is it it's kimoshnikov but his it's nick yeah hi nick Hello. Hello. Also, his profile picture is inexplicably changed. We need a new dr- uh, rule that whenever Nick comes on the podcast, we have to drink. Because he always appears out of nowhere. That seems I'll like a good rule. Alright. Nick, you have to drink too. Uh. 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 And whenever he is unprepared to drink, we have to take a drink. <laughs> I'll drink to that. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I came here to watch Chris's stream. <laughs> <laughs> you fool! You've come in the middle of a podcast. Oh no! You have to drink. It's the rules. If you don't All drink, right, I have I'll, to I'll drink more. Back. <laughs> All right. Um. So the only other, uh, there was a couple of games that I thought were like kind of neat. None of them really like wowed me like oh my god i'm gonna go out and buy this um but none of them really looked bad uh particularly the one that i thought looked neatest and most unique is a game called spirit fairer which actually i downloaded for pc because it's on xbox game pass as well and they shadow dropped it after the nintendo direct and i think it's hilarious that i'm giving microsoft my business for something that nintendo advertised to me that is kind of funny. <clears throat> yeah. So, Nick, you excited to play Untitled Goose Game 2-player? Yeah, what is that? <laughs> yeah, 
it's it's a it's a game about being a goose and being a dick while you're a goose. A dick goose. A dick goose. What is that? A gutanari? <laughs> oh my god! Pun. We have I to got drink. that, but I really didn't want to get that. <laughs> Only on drink to the past. Come for more of Nick's terribly offensive puns. <laughs> Shall we get into our table topic or what? Can I tell you a story about two griffins? Absolutely. I'll tell you later. Okay. Shall we get into our table topic? <laughs> sure. All right. In Talk case, about timing. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I liked. I remember. I don't remember what the table topic is, but uh, I remember reading it saying this will be interesting. All right. So the table topic today is uh, classic, uh, cliche, RPG class tropes. Uh, avoid them or give them a tweak to make them your own including character build as well as roleplay perspectives. Um, so I got this when I was uh, talking to a buddy of ours um, about a character that he's kind of designing that uh, is like a, a big respecter of nature and stuff and uh, goes around trying to protect uh, the forests and things like that. And he's trying to decide if he should be cleric or ranger. And I was like, what about druid? And he's like, no, I don't want to be druid. And I was like, huh. Okay, um, it got me kind of thinking that, you know, my first, uh, gut reaction to any druid is, oh, there's some sort of weird hippie, like, uh, solitary person that just lives inside a tree, probably, uh... <laughs> You've clearly never met a druid of the flame. Apparently not. But yeah, that's just kind of the, the impression I get, because a lot of druids that I've, you know seen in, you know, whether it's pop culture or wherever, you know, druids are just like, they're there so that they can, you know, be some weird hippie and, like, be angry at people for being in their forest, right? Um, and it got me also kind of thinking, like, I feel like every RPG class has these kind of cliche things that it does, and sometimes those work great, and sometimes they're very malleable. Uh, and sometimes they're not, and sometimes you're playing the same character over and over. So I wanted to kind of explore that concept. Well, um, that kind of actually really sounds a lot like the... Okay, I want to first redefine the term roleplay. I'm going to... What we consider roleplay is in like acting out your character. I'm gonna call acting mm -hmm. in this capacity, and role playing. I'm just gonna leave to things like you are the healer, you are the tank, you are the guy who has this role in the party. But so the person who wants to be the protector of the forces and stuff, and they're like, do I play a cleric or do I play a ranger? I think that's a really interesting way to do it because essentially, your playing ranger is your role but you can act as what you wish to act and really as a host of a game, you should not tell someone you're a fighter so you can't be a druid in roleplay. Like, that sucks. So if someone wants to play a ranger and be a forest ranger... Yeah. <laughs> okay, that sounds too cliche. A forest fighter, sure. I think that's perfectly fine, and I think that forest really gives a lot of flavor into the traditional... Forest. I hit with sword! <laughs> 
Yeah. So, like, I have no beef with that whatsoever. In fact, I would encourage that. Yeah, uh, I, I didn't have a problem with it. I was just, like, uh, you know, thinking of things to help him go through this. So I thought of the idea. But uh, he wasn't interested in playing Druid, which is fine. So I think his character might be more interesting because of that. Um, right. And you can still, like, give them Druid-like powers through just people they know or animals they know or spells and magic items. And yeah. Themed. Uh, yeah, so are there any kind of uh, cliché things like this that you think should absolutely be avoided? Or wh which ones do you think uh, are more okay to just work with sometimes? Or, or give a little tweak and make it your own, like I was saying before. Honestly, anything that you could call a meme, maybe <laughs> avoid it? Right. But, I don't know, sometimes it can work. Like, one downside of my game is that people die so often in the early levels that eventually they start making characters they intend to throw away mm -hmm. and giving them really stupid names. <laughs> Meme characters. And the problem is, is they end up... They, those they are the characters you end up high level With, yeah. like, depth and character and all this shit. And you're like, this is an amazing character who's had this beautiful arc and his name is Stairs. <laughs> you know, Stairs McGee. Stairs McGee yeah. is a legend. Stairs McGee is a fucking legend. But, but to avoid the things to avoid, just joke characters, really. Joke acting, if you want to make them always a joke. I don't know. It, it's kind of hard for me to say what not to avoid. Like, unless like someone's like, I'm gonna make a character who's like acting is a rapist. Like, yeah, hard no. But, like, yeah. beyond shit like that, like, I'm pretty lenient. Oh, no betraying of the party. But I'd say that's off the table. Yeah. Without good in-game reasons that need have driven them there. <laughs> like, I exist just to fuck with other people. I exist I'm just to steal. It's just what my character I'm did. a kinder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kinder are banned. <laughs> Yeah, so um, one of the things that I do is I play a lot of fighters and I play a lot of barbarians. And so a lot of times I feel like my role in the party, because of the way that those two classes work mechanically, is hit the thing. And I feel like, especially at higher levels, it gets to a point where that is the objectively correct decision is to full attack every round. And do nothing else ever. Um, nothing else ever. What do you think about those kind of cliches where it's like uh, kind of built into the system that you basically have one correct option or one objectively most powerful option for combat? Stuff like that. Well, my knee-jerk reaction is, well, that's a bad system. But I'm, I guess, I ask like, what's preventing you with your barbarian from doing other things? Like, I don't know, throwing stuff, sneaking, even. You know, is it just someone else does it better? Is it just, it's just the wrong choice because of how uh, the game's built? So, in, I think in later games, more so, uh, there is a lot of mechanical reasons not to do a thing. 
It was like, oh, you have the skill system, and it ended up being a prohibitive thing. Mm-hmm. Right. As opposed to, like, as opposed to, like, a positive thing, where it's like, oh, my character is really good at it, this. It ends up being, oh, only the character specialized in this ends up being able to do it meaningfully. Yeah, so, especially at, have... like, high levels in, like, 3.5 or Pathfinder or... Probably 5th yeah, right. edition to an extent. I don't, I don't know. I haven't played a lot of high-level 5th edition, but I would guess it's probably a similar situation. Because basically you get a certain amount of skill points to put into different things based on your class, and you have your high skill point classes, like your rogues, get lots of skill points so they can do lots of various things because they need to pick locks and sneak and tumble and uh, hide and stuff like that. Uh, whereas your fighters get, like, basically dick, so you put them into swim and jump, because those are the things that are based off of strength, and your strength is probably high, so those are the things that you might do okay anyway. And then you get into a situation where it's like, okay, we could sneak, but I'm wearing full plate armor, which gives me a check penalty of minus four, and my yeah, dexterity like is plus one. So I roll my d20 minus three, and uh, <laughs> let's hope that this 20th level encounter doesn't have a perception of more than click, 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 six. Well, I rolled a two. My, uh, my sneak skill is negative. Uh... <laughs> I cartwheel into the room screaming my barbarian charge because I forgot to hear the whole mm-hmm. sneak idea. Yeah. Uh, no, I... One thing that we can do with that, though, is uh, I was actually in a campaign the other day uh, where we had... Basically, we kind of killed all these guys in this one encounter and uh, accidentally set part of the forest on fire while we were doing it, and the fire and smoke attracted some other guys that we were that we might have come upon in you know in a little bit but it it pulled them more immediately in our direction they were like oh there's fire over there and uh the uh the one of our melee guys um rolled like a nat one on his stealth check and and he really played it up though he's just like nat one he's just like okay I know this isn't going to work, so I'm not even going to try it. And he just, he just stands in the middle of the road holding his great axe or something, and these, these this army comes up to him, and they're like, what are you doing here? He's like, none shall pass. <laughs> you know, just, just trying to bullshit his way, just like, you come and fight me, and I will take you all. <laughs> and it's like he, he gave a, a, a good speech and then was inevitably torn to shreds because their captain controlled a bunch of bears. But he took it that, like a man. <laughs> I was like, that digression was very D and D's. Yeah, it was a it was a really cool set of moments. Um, that uh, yeah, so it. But uh, so I feel like sometimes these things can be role played around, but uh, other times, specifically like in high level combat in uh, more modern editions, if you're a melee character, then hitting a target is pretty much always the quote-unquote correct thing to do because you don't have very many magical options like maybe you have a couple of magic items you could do something with once per day but they're probably not as useful for damage or or mitigation as just killing starting to remind me actually of the highest level fighter i ever had and in a 
fight in most games a high level fighter is like what you say they use their abilities to crump things really hard <laughs> but in this game my quote-unquote fighter was more defined by his magic items and it's like all right so i have magic items that have this breath attack i have these magic items that make me warp places i have these magic items that explode outwards and these various things i have magic items that shoot mm -hmm. rays of void energy i have magic there's like a different tool for everything like he was just kitted out with like the swiss army knife of mm -hmm. just killing different things in different ways a lot of those had limitations on them like you can only do this three times a day but it's really hard mm. so and i think that was so fun to play because it felt like i was playing like some high-tech modern weapon platform that had all these weird abilities for all these weird situations so i would encourage dms to essentially allow their players to side grade their power and so it's like okay you hit thing with sword is your basic thing and it's like all right can you hit something far away with a far away attack that hits just as hard maybe some kind of area attack you know if you can expand their like toolkit to not just hit harder or whatever but to hit in different ways or with different types of damage mm -hmm. that can make high level play for former i hit with sword guy much more engaging because it gives them options yeah that's something i try to kind of take into account when i'm dming for high level play is i try to give options of things that they can do by creating environments that are interesting and diverse uh and i don't know if i do a great job on that but i'm always trying to like okay there's you know a bunch right, of stalactites the in the cave or, or there's a you know there's a bunch of sarcophaguses here that you could hide behind or you could jump on top of to get in the high ground you know do, stuff right. like that uh, and different enemies with different quirks to yeah. overcome like, i'm immune to melee damn it what are you going to do oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. i discourage that actually but... right <laughs> uh so yeah it's um I feel like there's design aspects that can get along this, get around this kind of problem, but I feel like the problem is always going to be there to an extent, particularly with certain systems and particularly with certain playgroups. Just, I feel like not every playgroup will be able to dance around this. Right. Like, and like you, like I was saying earlier, like giving them options, like sometimes people aren't gonna take those options like yeah. we all hear about dms bitching about i gave this player all these things to make him so cool and he just forgets that he has them what do yeah. i do it's like there's not much you can that's do. one of the things that i like about low level play in 3.5 is that you know you have like probably a couple of unique abilities and if you're a fighter you're probably pretty good at hitting stuff with your gray axe or whatever you got your sword i don't know but at the same time, I feel like low-level characters uh, get more creative with their environment because it's, you know, like at level one, grabbing a log out of the fire and throwing it at somebody for a D6 damage and maybe they catch on fire is effectively just yeah. about as powerful as hitting them with your sword. Whereas well, at 20th level... Right? Yeah, potentially. You know, they catch on fire and take some more levels. You do shit like that. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. Uh, but, you know, you try that at, at you know, uh, 20th level, 
Like, first of all, their AC is high and you got a penalty to throw it because it's an improvised weapon. You're probably not going to hit. They're probably going to make their reflex save to not catch on fire. You're probably going to do maybe a D6 of damage instead of hitting them with a full attack with your greatsword for like 2D6 plus 95 because cheese or some bullshit like well, that. You, you know, just got to throw four bigger times. stuff. That fighter I was talking about would throw a mm -hmm. fucking cathedral at things because that cathedral had the quirk that it could mm -hmm. not be destroyed. There's actually a class, uh, Warhulk gets an ability to just pick up pieces of the earth and hurl them at people, which is kind of a exactly. fun one. Um, but anyone could theoretically get that ability by a magic item, divine blessing, whatever. Yeah. But again, that's a thing that kind of has to come down on high from the DM. So. A little bit. Uh, that particular ability is something that I went for personally, right. and the DM worked with me because there's a magic item creation system, and that DM was Chris. So, mm -hmm. yay! Go, Whoa. Chris. Hey, but, Chris is yeah, still here. High level. There's still the environment. Just a lot of people kind of forget about it because it's we're not used to having that level of mm -hmm. malleability with the world. Right. Uh, so what do you think about this from the uh, more roleplay-focused perspective instead of the mechanic perspective? Um, Acting? Yeah, so for, like, I'm the fighter, so I'm a big dumb idiot. I'm the cleric, oh, so, I oh, I have to be so all pious and all this kind of thing. You know, all those kind of cliches. Because uh, to, to an no. extent, I get what you're saying, but sometimes I feel like you can work with them if it's done right, you I think can, it, yeah, because most of my fighters and barbarians that I play are like kind of gung ho, let's go in guns blazing kind of people, and you know it works. And you know sometimes they have different reasons for doing that, and it comes out okay in RP. So as long as I RP it okay, I think that's fine. Um, I think gung ho isn't really a full character on its own. Like there's definitely other stuff going on. Yeah, with. Like, so many different people could be gung-ho, but from dumb idiots to mm -hmm. brilliant strategists. Yeah. That's true. Um, one of my favorite... Like, I never really considered big... my fighter to be a big, dumb idiot. Right. One of my favorite big, dumb idiot fighters I ever played was named Sim. And I, I was rolling up my stats, and um, I got a, a three, and I put it in intelligence. And so I just decided to really, God. really just milk the shit out of how dumb I was. So I decided. Is this edible? Choose on tree bark. Right. So I, I literally just like, uh, the only thing that I ever said in character was, my name is Sim. It was, that, that was the only oh, intelligible no. sentence I could ever say. And so people had asked well, it's me... kind of boring. But it, but it was hilarious, because, like, I, they'd send me out to sure. scout. They'd be like, go over the hill and, and tell us what's over the hill. And, and you know, because there and should be an orc back, camp. And, and I'd come back, and they'd start. be like, hey, what's there? My name is Sim. What? Who hired this guy? <laughs> we we pulled, we had the same issue. We threw our big dumb cleric. I think his name was Thud. Through like a portal. We're like, what do you see over there, Thud? He just yells back, me Thud. Like, why didn't we think of this? Right. Yeah. Thud. He was sold to a demon. Mm -hmm. But it was funny because I could also get myself out of situations because uh, I had enough skill points because of my 
uh, negative intelligence modifier that I could max out one skill and have one skill point left over. And so I spent that one skill point into the goblin language. So I could nice. still only say my name is Sim, but I could say it in common or in goblin tongue. And the other skill that I maxed out was performance in singing. So I could sing very, very beautiful music that nobody well, would know that all of the lyrics were just, just myself saying my name. <laughs> so I'd just sing my name is Zim to them, and they'd be like, oh my god, this guy's amazing. And they'd, and we made our, like, every time we stayed in a pub, I'd just, like, start singing in the corner this operatic ballad of my name is Sim. <laughs> And, and people would chuck gold in our bucket and we'd get a free in-stay. <laughs> and Sim became a legend mm -hmm. in taverns. Yes. The wonderful singing Sim. <laughs> so, we actually, in our, uh, we play another Supers game, Seed of Seeds, actually, you're in on that. But our friend Josh had a character who had a quirk where he could never tell the truth all of his statements must be lies hmm. and ringing information out of him was a pain <laughs> like when he screams i'm okay and you're like wait is he oh oh that's not good <laughs> <laughs> i'm okay where the fuck is his arm <laughs> where's your arm it's right here uh. <laughs> Well, certainly not at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> oh, no. We're landlocked! <laughs> he looks down and cries. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was interesting. That was an interesting one. But yeah, from the acting perspective, I definitely still stand by encouraging people who want to play a class that doesn't necessarily match up with their thing. Like, you can be a very pious fighter. You can... You may as well play a character or a paladin at that point. But you could all, like, I think a fighter of the forest makes a lot more sense than, like, a fighter who is very Christian. Actually, no, that still works, because Crusades. Mm -hmm. Christian fighter? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of things you can do with that. Like, I know in our game, we only have, like, one big dumb idiot fighter, and just the rest of the group has basically, like, fed him so that he can just take it <laughs> and that became its own special like meme within the group if you know what I mean by that mm. Millhouse? yep Millhouse I was also gonna yeah class so I I would ask another question since I barely participated in this discussion at all mm -hmm. uh which is, does a class pigeonhole characters in terms of the what they can do? And I'm not just talking like spells and stuff, but does it, do the more classes you have, are, are characters more pigeonholed? I guess it depends say, on how your system is set up, because, like, to an extent, uh, like, I feel like. Let's take Core 3.5, right? Just uh, just your player's handbook. And, uh, 
you know, prestige classes in the Dungeon Master's Guide. That's all you got, right? Pretty much all those are kind of pigeonholed. You're a fighter, you hit stuff. You're the mage, then maybe you enchant magic items, and if not, then you just zap stuff with lots of fireballs, right? You're, you're more or less every... 20th level fighter is going to be the same and more or less every 20th level wizard is going to be the same right but then you open that up with all of the expansion content that was available in 3.5 and and now you've got you know all this crazy swashbuckler stuff and uh you know all the complete adventurer and uh you know stuff from like sword and fist and different expansion books like this giving you different kinds of or like tome and blood is a good example of you know would make different kinds of casters that because at 20th level your wizard and your sorcerer cast spells differently but they're still essentially the same pigeonholed role in the party dynamic whereas you get like a blood caster out of tome and blood or something are they though like Cause okay, they what have do you mean the... by that pigeonholed role in the party? Well, because depending on their... Sorcerer spells are very different from, like, wizard spells. Um, in 3.5, they cast the same spells from the same list, but they have a different methodology oh. of going about how they cast. Okay. Because, yeah. Uh, so... That's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it's... It, it, it works for how it works. Um... I see wizards more of having like a magical toolkit with limited offensive potential. Well, I wouldn't say limited, but I mean unlimited. Oh, it's hard to summarize this thought. But I see sorcerers as being more like the, you know, very aggressive, full-on, you know, blow shit up with fireballs and lightning bolts and shit. Whereas wizards are more the I will polymorph this creature into a newt, and then I'll put it in a jar, and defeat it that way. And that's. At least how they were in later editions. A fantasy. But, yeah, I feel like but, that is kind of true of how they work, even though they cast from the same spell list. That's a that's an okay summary of how uh, the big difference between their play styles. So, so I'd encourage like sorcerers and wizards mm -hmm. like finding their own spells instead of just pulling from a list mm -hmm. in the book. But anyways, to answer Chris's question, in that case, I think having more classes makes more diversity because, you know, you have different kinds of classes. You know, they add new spells and stuff, um, uh, new feats for even just your fighters in a lot of these expansion books that they published, stuff like that. But depending on how else you do it, because the most customizable system I've ever seen, I'm going to toot my own horn here, is the system that I invented with a little bit of help from Chris. Just a little bit. Yeah, is our... Not, uh, not really all that much. Yeah, uh, but it, it has no classes, and you just invent your own character and your own abilities, and it's kind of got a rule set for how you go about inventing your own abilities. And that has made the most customizable system that I have ever seen. There is no pigeonholing whatsoever, because if you want to, like, you can literally, like, Nick, give me the dumbest concept that you can possibly think of, and, and I will tell you that you can make it in this system. I am a man who runs on the power of bread and big toes. I require big toes in order to summon bread. Yeah, you could do that. Uh, too, too easy. Just pick up the uh, big toes and Brad expansion. Right. 
Right. Uh, I think those I, uh, preset classes and stuff are there to kind of encourage people who might be new into what kind of things they can do in the game. Mm-hmm. Whereas more flexible systems just let you do whatever you want, but they don't really tell new people, hey, you can be this crazy thing you might not have considered. Mm-hmm. You know? Like yeah. a toe-driven bread sorcerer. Right. Toe-driven bread sorcerer. Which you so can theoretically do in five cataclysms. Yeah. yeah. If you so I, spells. I would argue the op- kind of the opposite of what Sean was arguing mm-hmm. earlier, which is, I think... Fewer classes leads to less pigeon. Hmm. And that's because, for, let's say, you add Paladin to a game with Fighter, Cleric, and. Oh god. Chris, focus. Yeah. You, so, you add Paladin to a game with just Fighter, uh, Cleric, and Mage. Mm hmm. So now that Paladin's in the game, Cleric kind of loses a little space as, like, the Holy Warrior. And Paladin becomes, like, a very specific kind of Holy Warrior. So Cleric gets... So, and Fighter is no longer like, oh, I can be a Crusader type. Because that's now, like, squarely in the realm of the Paladin. So each class kind of loses a bit of its unique footprint. Mm Mm-hmm. I still think it's kind of conditional because at the same time, I feel like now you could make a holy warrior who was three classes instead of a holy warrior that was two classes. Because theoretically, you could make just as efficacious a holy warrior as a fighter or a cleric. And now, adding paladin to the list. So it's, it's. What point is it just find the class that matches what you want to act as? And is it going to mechanically function the way you expect it to, the way you want to act? Well, if it doesn't, then look at the other class, because they mechanically function different, so... I mean, when you're, like, five levels into the game, you're like, I don't want to do this anymore, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. I mean... I don't know, because the way that I create characters guy. with this kind of system is I look through kind of what they get through the levels. So that, I feel like, is something that I would see coming. But maybe that's not something that everybody does when they create characters in a new system. I'm not sure. I don't like having to look through the levels and see what they get if it takes more than, like, five minutes. Mm-hmm. I just and start playing, I, damn it. Mm-hmm. Sean... I think it's fair to say that you and me are more of system nerds than, like, Nick. Mm-hmm. And I think it would also be fair for me to say that I am, like, the biggest system nerd. Yes. <laughs> uh, and for me, I, I'm just, like, nine out of ten times players just don't enjoy learning that many more rules and understanding how things fit together. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that shit is... Unless you're, like, very familiar with a specific game, kind of like, say, we are with 3.5. Right. Um, then a lot of that... Learning curve is front-end, which sucks. Yeah. Learning curve should be back-end, mid-game. A lot of that's daunting, and you're not really sure how to make a character concept mesh with what you want. Mm Mm-hmm. 
But at that uh, point, whereas... I feel like you should also be working with a GM who could give you an option or three. Yes. Because as a GM I, I feel like... who plays oh. 3.5, if you told me you wanted to be a big, dumb, angry guy with a sword, my first choice is obviously would be fighter and barbarian, but there's no reason you couldn't do that as a paladin. Or, Why can't you do that as, like, a druid? Big, dumb druid with a sword? You could, actually. <laughs> a druid, actually, uh, the one thing I would say is that in 3.5 specifically, melee druids are better with sticks because shillelagh is a spell, and it's amazing. Uh, okay, okay. Big, dumb priest who hits things with a sword. Yeah. He has no proficiency in it. Right, yeah. It's mostly for looks. I mean, you could do that. Actually, clerics make surprisingly good melee fighters in 3.5, you know, if you, if especially if you go out of your way to build that, but even if you don't, like, their melee proficiencies are okay anyway, so they make okay frontliners, especially since they can heal themselves and they can use uh, heavy armor. So it's like, as a frontline fighter, Cleric is not a bad choice. As a frontline soaker. But that's Maybe. a kind of frontline fighter. Yeah, it's a tag. Yeah. Well, is it time for me to chill? Chill my the game I've been running. Chill it. In terms of shit uh, now. So my game, uh, my new game that I've been running, while people carry a light, is it from the, it has the genes of D and D in it, mm -hmm. uh, but what it doesn't have is classes. Mm -hmm any character can learn to do anything, basically. Mm -hmm. And there, there is really like. mechanical differentiation early on in the form of, like, gifts, but none of those are necessarily, like, things that you can't get in another way later in the game. Mm -hmm. And basically, there's no limitations whatsoever. Like, everyone's class is literally just a person. <laughs> yeah. And everyone gets the same bonuses from leveling, yada yada yada, but it's up to you how you, like, flavor yourself and what kind of powers you go for and what kind of spells you bargain for. Because you don't just have a spell book to cast for, you have to go find the spells and learn them. Right. Yeah. So, I think in a classless system, you have the most potential for customization but I do think there's a time and place for classes, and when they are integrated in a core aspect of the game, I think more classes means more customization situationally. Uh, do you think that's an unfair summary of our discussion here? Not entirely. Well, I think there classes force entirely. people to play a role. I think people uh, are going to play a role, and classes give an option of how to do that effectively. But Cla classes are a nice like prepackaging. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think it my preferred game, and one thing that none of us are talking about, even when I mentioned the thing about system mastery earlier, uh, is classes are when for a new player introduced to the game classes are like a nice way of saying i want to do this particular thing especially when there's like a simple few number of them but i think when you get more into the game 
you're it's easier to free yourself from that and be like you get into a game with like hundreds or thousands of classes where you're just like i want to play this hyper specific thing or you play a game with no classes whatsoever mm-hmm. uh and my preferred games are basically one of the two now where i'm like either i want a game with a hundred thousand classes and ways to play it or i want a game where there's almost no classes right I feel like they both give you very high customization, but in kind of different ways. Especially in, like, 3.5, again, as an example, has cross-class. You can mix any, you know, 20 classes from all of these core rulebooks if you want to, to make some weird-ass hybrid thing. Uh, And, you know, that's one of the interesting things about, you know, high-level play, because... You know, to an extent, I, I feel like they shoehorn you into a role, but at at the at the same time, I feel like most players are going to go for one role or another from the get-go, and having a convenient vessel to help them do that is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just not optimal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Having... Yeah, I'm... I'm in agreement on the convenience, but I think they're like, I, I think having a limited number of classes, particularly fantasy archetype classes that suggest a certain kind of character, mm-hmm. uh, they're kind of like a gateway drug. Mm-hmm. And then, I'm going to compare it to prostitution. Having oh a class <laughs> pre-prepared for you is like buying a prostitute. Developing a class out of an ambiguous character is like putting effort into creating a long-term relationship. Drink to the past is the only podcast where you can hear prostitution compared to (laughs) D&D. I'll drink to that. That that seems like a fine way to end this topic. (laughs) So we go into the video game topic then? Sure. Alright. Video game topic? Yeah, you have to talk about video games. Ha ha. Do I have to? Uh, sure. Okay, what's the topic? So, the video game topic for today is uh, video games we forgive for doing cliche stuff. Or video uh, games I'll we don't forgive. Um, that's an interesting example, because I, I knew Zelda was it going to come up really at some point. It really a cliche at the time, I guess. Yeah, because one of the things what? that I, I will pretty much always forgive Zelda games for following almost any cliche and the reason is because most of those cliches were started by the legend of zelda series itself like like, i can't think of a cliche thing that zelda games do that aren't cliche because zelda started it i'm having trouble thinking of anything cliche in a game besides last hitting and mobas I that's don't not, forgive them. That's not it's not even cliche, it's just It's cliche to me. Well, I mean, it doesn't fall under I don't think it falls under the except definition. I pushed up my glasses there to, that you couldn't see to emphasize well, I the felt it. of that fucking statement. <laughs> but I think cliche would be like almost like a genre expectation 
Blade Street. Uh, and in MOBA's the last hitting uh, last hitting is a genre expectation played straight but it was in like it, 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 most of the games that have that were like originators or like the first wave of games that have that so and it was kind of accidental I don't know <laughs> but yeah I can't really think of anything too cliche I guess I don't play a lot of games how dare you? Besides, uh, like, at the first level, you have to kill rats in, well, like, an MMO or something. Like, mm-hmm. has Final Fantasy hit its stride, like the SNES games, how you got hit points, you got mana points, and then it just kind of, once you start playing Final Fantasy, like, past Final Fantasy VII, this, there, there was, like, occasionally, like, systemic... Uh, innovation, but it was always you knew what the spells were gonna, you knew Ultima was gonna be a spell or Edo or Holy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it's fun. It's a series that invented tropes and then turned them into cliches just by virtue of being long enough running. I feel like JRPGs in general uh, have often been guilty of this uh i was playing the demo of dragon quest 11s and uh to me like the entire game felt like a, a cliche just just like doing the same thing that every uh jrpg has ever done since the super nintendo and it didn't feel like it had evolved the genre at all it, it didn't feel like it was doing anything like the protagonists were generic anime guys like uh you know your your usual headstrong character and uh the, well the the main character was like silent and and just didn't say anything the whole time and that was kind of like uh, i was like uh, that could be done well but it wasn't in a in a JRPG, I feel like your main character should be a character and not just like, oh, look at me, I'm a blank slate here. But I guess that's a thing that Dragon Quest has pretty much always done. So maybe it worked in the Super Nintendo days. I'm not sure. I, this is the first Dragon or, Quest I ever played. So or even the well, Dragon Quest was like one of the first JRPGs, if not first. Yeah. So it's 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 a weird feeling because. I feel like probably a lot of the tropes associated with JRPGs came from the Dragon Quest series to some extent, but this was just like all of the JRPG tropes and nothing else. So that's a game that I did not forgive, but most people do. Most people really like that game, and I'm not totally sure why, but yeah, it's just a weird thing. Um, a JRPG that I did forgive was Xenoblade Chronicles 2, because literally all of the characters were just your trope anime guys. You had your brash, headstrong, main shonen fighter dude. Yeah, you had your weird perv character. You had the hot chick who is oblivious to everything. You know, it's like, okay, this is like watching literally any shonen anime ever pretty much in the characters but i forgave it because 
the overarching plot was kind of interesting, and there was crap loads of interesting lore and world building. So I was like, all right. It was it was still interesting enough to keep playing, and the and the combat was pretty fun. So. Is there a specific thing you were going to talk about, Chris, with Ocarina of Time? Uh, well, with Ocarina of Time, the elemental temples thing, it's... the uh, is almost kind of like spiritually... It's almost like a spiritually pure trope on its own. Mm-hmm. And it's been done so often that it's a cliche these days. Yeah. Uh, but... It's a cliche in the sense that, like, the four classical elements are a cliche. That mm-hmm. they can be cliched, but sometimes it's fun to just do them again. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of things that can be done. Because I feel like a lot of the... Like, you look at the original Final Fantasy or Final Fantasy Four, and the way that they used the... Literally the same plot mechanic was there are four magical crystals that control the cardinal elements of nature, and they've been thrown out of balance for some reason, but they had totally different ways of, you know, going about it. Because uh, in Final Fantasy One, it was just they were all stolen by monsters or something, and in Final Fantasy Four, it was like this evil king had, uh, you know, like, come to a village and raided it and stolen one of them, so now there was no wind anymore. And stuff like so, that. So, Final Fantasy is funny in that it kind of, for a lot of those things, it did. It was the first to do them. It invented them. It perfected them, and then drove them into the fucking ground. Right. Because you know, I feel like there was elemental crystals for the four cardinal elements in Final Fantasy one through five, and then never again. <laughs> they were yeah. like, okay, let's drop that. So they might have been in six too. Uh, six had the six was six more was, about steampunk magic stuff. So I, I feel like I don't remember them, but I feel like the crystals might have existed still. And then seven was just like, okay, let's just reinvent everything. So start over. And then eight, nine, and ten were just the same thing as seven again. <laughs> I I think it's fair to say that six had a unique enough story and was a unique enough take yeah. to be. Not cliched. Yeah. I think 6 was probably the most unique of the... Well, maybe not the most unique, but the the furthest straying from the norm of the Super yeah. Nintendo slash NES ones. So, I guess... So you're talking more like story tropes. And... To an extent, when Nick was uh, talking earlier, I think he was talking more like gameplay tropes. Yeah, we could be so talking sure either we ones. Talking more, I was more okay. thinking of story tropes, but gameplay tropes are absolutely just as, uh, you know, I, I feel like there's as many ubiquitous things in gameplay nowadays. Yeah, uh, you know, and and some of them are taken for granted because like, uh, it's it's funny how like. Basically, since Ocarina of Time invented it, the uh, 
targeting system for 3D adventure games where you lock on to one of your bad guy enemies, right? Basically, every 3D adventure game since then has done the same thing. And it got to the point where, like, people, I feel like, call that out sometimes now and call it a trope. But uh, then a game like Ghost of Tsushima comes out and people hate that it doesn't have a lock-on mechanic. The same thing might be able to be said about just twin-stick control in general. It's... Those tropes, those gameplay tropes, some of them come into play and then they become, like, a form of gameplay literacy. Mm -hmm. And then, because they're, like, the right way to do things, we don't even consider them tropes or cliches anymore. We just consider them the right way to do things. If you don't do it this way, why, mm -hmm. why are you doing it the wrong way? Yeah. Which I don't think is a bad thing, necessarily. So one gameplay-based uh, cliche that I'm tired of is uh, skill trees. <laughs> We've talked about that oh, yes. a few times. Uh, sometimes they work. I don't, I'm not, like, I don't hate them, but I feel like too many games uh, shoehorn in, like, several skill trees for no good reason. Um... And sometimes, like, you'll be specking into one skill tree, and it's, like, not actually as good as specking into the other one. It's like weird. they're poorly thought out. Yeah. Um, or, or just, like, some skills are just, like... Like, the example that I'm thinking of right now is Horizon Zero Dawn. And when I was playing through this game, I was... Uh, I one of the skill trees is all about melee combat because uh, you have a spear that you can fight with and it's weird because I was specking into that almost exclusively because that's how I wanted to go and I'd, I'd like do some traps sometimes and I'd use my bow you know to start a fight sometimes but most of the time I wanted to fight stuff with my stick but I got to a point in the game where I'd found so many bow upgrades that my bow was better than my staff, even though I was specced into my staff, because literally you... Uh, I'm told that there's an upgrade for the staff later in the game somewhere, but I was like at least 15 hours in, and I'm getting like... Every time I meet a person, I can buy a new bow from them almost, right? But... I've never found a single upgrade for the staff, so it's still doing like, yeah, like the base level like the bows damage. The secret super weapon. Right, yeah, and I'm just like I'm okay with like like if if the game had told me that the bow is the correct way to play the game, like that's the way, okay, sure, whatever. I would have probably like got more used to it, but I wasn't you know, specking into it. I wasn't practicing with it as much. And then I got to an area where literally, like, most of the dinosaurs are flying, and the ones that aren't have so many hit points that it's just completely impractical to fight them with your spear. And, and, and like, some of them are, like, so big that, like, melee combat is a terrible idea because you have to go up next to them and hit them several times, and then they take up so much space that you literally can't dodge out of the way before they hit you if you hit them a couple of times. It's, like, 
it it became completely infeasible to play the game that I had the way that I had been playing it. And I feel like that was because of the skill tree. They could have just removed the skill trees and been like, hey, there's these upgrades you can buy for the bow. And you're like, oh, okay. And then you would gradually over time be like, right, hey, yeah. this bow thing is working out. Or like well, how old games worked, where it's tree. like, oh, you level up. Here's a new ability. So it skill trees are like yeah, classes they, is what I mean. They hearing, should be able to, a little bit, yeah. It depends on the game. But in this one, they kind of are. Because like, there's a lot of skill trees in this game, I feel like. Because there's a bow skill tree. And there's, like, a bow skill tree specifically for using, like, fire arrows and shock arrows and stuff like that. And then there's the spear fighting skill tree. And then there's the trap crafting skill tree and skill trees for your other weapons. So it's like... I, Jesus. Yeah, it's it's like, what's the point of all this when really you should just... I feel like the game should just take away the skill trees, give you the bow, and maybe it'll give you those staff abilities as you level up too, but like, just give me the abilities as I level up. M make it simple. It, it I feel like... At least make it accessible. Yeah, I feel like it made it appear as though spear fighting was a viable option to play the game with and it is objectively not um you know it's actually funny because uh world of warcraft used to have skill trees and when they finally removed it and gave people actual choices that were balanced, everyone flipped their shit. I'm like, I hate it! It's not a <laughs> skill tree! Even though now it's like you have to choose between things that are valid options. I didn't mind skill trees as much because it, in World of Warcraft specifically, when I played, because it's like, basically, whatever class you have, you have three skill trees, and pretty much you put all your points into whichever one skill tree you pick from the start is basically how to skill tree. Yeah. So it's it's like more and you could like change you, it right later. Yeah. So it's like there was right choices and wrong choices. Yeah. Still. But they were they were I feel like they weren't like all over the place. It it was like you could have one ability that like most people didn't use in the optimum spec and if that was the way that you played it would still be okay right it wasn't like if you're a rogue and you spec combat instead of stealth then you just die all the time because you don't do damage you know i, I feel like that's the difference so between about world of warcraft and balanced skill trees yeah maybe inbound skill trees to an extent and 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 too many and like it's very unclear, like, the whole time, whether it's smarter to stay in one skill tree or move around the board. Whereas in World of Warcraft, I feel like it's pretty obvious that, like, you pick your one primary skill tree and you just stay there until you've filled it up, pretty much. And those abilities that you get from that skill tree will be better for the way that you built because you're built all out of that one skill tree. And... and it's, I, f I feel like it's a very different mentality in those two particular skill trees. Because World of Warcraft had, when I was playing, like a whole buttload of skills in the one skill tree. 
Whereas these ones, it's like, you know, five or six abilities per skill tree, and then there's just a buttload of skill trees. So there's probably the same amount of skills by the end of it, but they're, they're, they're segmented differently, which makes it more confusing and... I feel like this is just unnecessary. It's I don't want to micromanage my character in every single game. I, you know, some games I'm just like, I want to just go fight the robot dinosaurs. Why can't I just do so, that? Would you say a fair definition of cliche then is when games start copying a uh, mechanic like this without thought for why it should be there? Yeah. Because, yeah. like, I feel like I could make this same argument. I just made it for Horizon Zero Dawn, and I don't feel like it's as bad in the other ones, but I could make the same argument because they have literally the same skill tree in God of War and Spider-Man for PS4. And I'm just like, why? It's just and this... It's trope? Yeah, it's, it's this inexplicable, popular design mechanic that I don't feel adds anything to the game most of the time. The illusion of choice. Yeah. But if you make the wrong choice, then you're gonna get killed because you're just fighting people with a crappy stick. Alright. Um, so is there any more games that we forgive and or don't forgive for doing cliche stuff? Well, How could I forgive Anisha? With my definition of cliche, mm -hmm. at least for mechanics, we should always... When we forgive a game, we're not forgiving it because it does cliche stuff. We're forgiving it for its other merits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um... I guess I was gonna say, like, unless it builds upon the cliché and somehow makes it its own, but I feel like I can't think of an example of how, of that. And in that case, I guess is it maybe... Is it not an innovation? Yeah. I guess it's... Did I word my sentence weirdly to sound smarty pants? Maybe. I feel like an innovation is the opposite of a cliché. <laughs> like, it takes a mechanic... Yeah. It, it may build upon a cliché mechanic... But it, uh, in and of itself, is is a different thing. Because I was gonna, I was, I was trying to think of like going back to Final Fantasy. I'm thinking like, oh, the first three were just straight up turn based combat, just like most uh, RPGs of the NES era. And then Final Fantasy IV, they added the ATB gauge, which uh, so it was still turn based. But depending on your character's speed, your turn would come up more based on how fast that little gauge fills. But I feel like that's just a different mechanic at that point. So I'm like, I, I, I want to make the argument, but I don't know how. And I don't, <laughs> I'm not sure. Maybe it's just like I have this idea in my head that doesn't actually exist. <laughs> We've been silent for too long. We have to drink. I am. Speaking of which, Nick, what you drinking? 
Uh, I drank a uh, <clears throat> Coors Banquet. All right. What do you rate it on a scale of 3 to 17? Uh, how about an F? All right. Speaking of which, I think we forgot to rate our beers earlier, Chris, so uh, it's, uh, I have uh, to drink because well, I screwed up there. I've, I, I want Graham, the, did I, Graham, Graham Cracker Porter is... Chris if can't not, pronounce Graham Cracker. We have to drink. <laughs> Graham. 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 You should probably throw that out. Ham is supposed to be pinkish. We were talking about pink ham at length yesterday. Uh, oh, gee. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Hams? Nope. Uh, Graham Cracker Porter is probably tied for one of my most rated beers on the show, but I would still give it a 15 mm-hmm. because it's still a great beer. Yeah, this uh, fruity mountain beach doohickey is uh, pretty good, too. I'll give that a 14. Wow. Not too Send bad. me some. This is the only one I got. I got it in a pick six. It might be available at King Supers. <laughs> Hashtag shameless plug. Go get their shopping needs there and then maybe they'll sponsor me. I'm kidding. They won't sponsor me. I say fuck too much. Yeah. We all say fuck too much. Fuck yeah. For for uh, for our <laughs> Are we out of video game topic here? <laughs> I could tell you a tale of two griffins. Hmm. Uh, be worth it. As long as we're done what? with the video game topic and we don't want to come back to it, we can move on to A Tale of Two Griffins. It's not a very long tale, and it's not very interesting either, but it makes me giggle. Nice. I didn't even know griffins had tails. Why wouldn't they? I don't know. Well, don't lions have tails? How should I know? I'm not a lion. I've never seen a lion. She's so not watched Lion King <laughs> as a child. Of course I did. That's why John Favreau yeah, ruined my childhood. The Lion King ruined your childhood. No, the John Favreau version. He's this... Wow. Remade it and it was so pointless. It... <laughs> <laughs> It, it was, Those don't exist. It was a mental struggle to to watch that movie from beginning to end. I bet. Anywho, thank you for joining us on Drink to the Past. As always, I'm your host, Sean Michael Patrick Thompson. You can catch me over on Twitter at SpamoManoSpam. Uh, you can also catch me on TwoGuysPlayingZelda.com. Uh, I do various opinion articles and junk like that. So lots of Zelda stuff as well as some various general gaming things on the cheap uh, gaming side of the website. Check it out. And as usual, this is the inexplicable guest, Nick. Inexplicable? Yeah, you just appear. We never expect That could be easily explained. I get off at 10 p.m., I get on Discord and I see what people are doing, then I click watch stream and poof, I'm here. <laughs> Nice. He's the only guest that always joins us accidentally. <laughs> yeah. 
Which is funny, because he should expect that by now. <laughs> and my glorious-ish co-host. Co-host. Sorry, Sorry Chris, you, you can't say it yet, because you have to drink. He's still playing Age of Empires, but in a far better position on it. Check us out on YouTube. Uh, and stuff. Yeah. This game has been painful to watch. Because of how long it's been taking? Yes. You could have won by now. Just build traps. I've been built? Yeah. Tre traps were built. Why do you think this entire area is empty? No. No. Well. No. I mean, you're probably, probably right in that things could have been done more efficiently. Fine, I'm building traps. Are you happy? I will be happy. Someday. At least that's the hope. Aww. And now we come to our closing segment of the podcast where we talk about random inane bullshit. Already on that segment. We just I know, but I it. feel like I have to introduce it. Just, it's like part of the... It's, it's like one of my jobs as the as the host. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. If I if I didn't do that, I, I would have to drink. I, f I feel like your your job this time around was particularly difficult. You know, I got I got a beer out of the deal, so it's good enough for me. <laughs> yeah, that works. Yeah, I'm surprised you uh, were playing a game as distracting as age during this. But I can see it now. You're like, I have to go to my podcast. And I'm like, come on, Chris, you can just play it in the background. It's no problem. And you're like, okay. <laughs> well, considering the stage of the game this is at. Yeah. It's a little less distracting now. Now that we're thoroughly destroying them. Oh, finally, a surrender. Did you win? God, that took forever. They're one-third of the way to winning. You just have to kill Assistant Manager Strickland Probe? Yes, change your diplomatic status, Chris, and kill him. You can't. It's locked. No! There's a lot of numbers in the bottom right-hand corner of this game. The uh, number on the left of the slash is your score. The bottom, the number on the right is your team's score, which is why the top three have the same number on the right. Yeah. The bottom three have the same number on the right. Okay. Right now, assistant manager Strickland Prop, who is an ally of Chris, is the best player. Oh, man. Chris, and you're not Moonraiser the best. Moonraiser down there is only the worst because he must have lost his base in the early game, and thus that's he why got, he's squished he behind got early on and... Uh, Never fully recovered. Mm -hmm. He became a refugee. Yeah. That was silly. One time I played, like, most of a game of Warcraft after losing my base, and I had, like, one unit left that I just kept marching around to places while my brother was, like, attacking things, and I was, like, hey, I, I, I like, called a truce with him because I had one unit left. And it was not a building unit, so I couldn't build anymore. I literally could not do anything other than attack with this one unit. So every time he attacked something, I sent my one horseman in to 
beat stuff. I was in that situation last night. The only unit I have is a unit that can convert other units to my team. <laughs> <laughs> so he'd wander into combat, convert like one dude, and run away. <laughs> That's all I had. I serve. I was the last person on our team to die, though. <laughs> That's true. You were juking with the sheep very well. <laughs> sheep juke. Uh, so now is the segment of my, the podcast where we say Chris has a crippling AOE2 addiction. Please send help. This is not a drill. You know what you else is not AOE a drill? Addiction? Oh, it's 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 new. <laughs> I don't believe you. You know what else is not a drill? What? A saw. A shovel. Yeast. Those things are also not drills. Can you drill a yeast infection? 